And um, how many of you already have stopped doing the thing you said you were going to do at the beginning of the year? Yeah, y'all aren't raising your hand, but I will go ahead and do it. Uh, Plant-based diet? Mm, yeah, so <laughs> I'm a carnivore. So um, anyway, I think we can agree that, um, all of us can agree that if we want to have a better year this year than last year, we want to continue to improve, we have to do things different. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. So we know that if we want a better year, a better year to have um, more success, to have um, a closer walk with Jesus, we have to do things a little different. And in order to do that, we have to ask ourselves some tough questions, some hard questions that possibly you will have uh, this conversation with another person or people in your life. So if you want this year to be better than last, I'm going to ask you to consider a question, and I'm going to ask it to you a couple different ways. And so here it is. What are you holding on to that's holding you back? What are you holding on to that's holding you back? What are you holding on to that the people around you would say is holding you back? Or that would secretly say and wish you would know that it's holding you back? What's weighing you down, right, because you refuse to let it go? Initially, you thought that this thing would make your life better, but in fact, it's made your life more complicated. What is slowing you down because you just won't put it down, right? What is slowing you down because you won't acknowledge that it's a hindrance to your progress? What are you holding on to that you feel compelled to keep hidden? What are you holding on to that you really hope that he doesn't find out or she doesn't find out? If your kids found out, you would be mortified. Or if your friends knew, maybe they wouldn't want to be your friends anymore. What are you hiding that would be embarrassing if other people found out. But it's dragging you down. And the truth is, if you were honest, the people in your life probably already know that something's up, right? In fact, they might have even asked you, what's, what's going on? And you're like, oh, nothing, nothing, it's okay, it's okay. And you've had to like compensate for the fact that you're carrying around this thing that you just don't want to acknowledge and you want to keep hidden. Let me ask you this. What are you holding on to that's making a monkey out of you? Let me explain it. So you can look this up later. There's a way to trap a monkey. Um, you know, you, take a, you can take a coconut and you can hollow out a hole in the middle and you can stick a banana inside and the monkey will put their hand in and they will grab the banana and in order to keep a hold of the banana, they won't, they trap themselves, right? They hold on to it and they don't let go of the banana because they want it. Now the truth is you can't, not all monkeys can be trapped this way. The intelligent ones know they have to let go of the banana in order to get away. So the point for today, if you don't hear anything else, the first thing, the only thing you really need to hear today, if you just tune out or you fall asleep or you get on your phone and start playing Tetris, if you want to figure out how to move on, how to, oh, it took away my, my joke, it's right there. How do you uh, release it? You let go of the banana and run away, right? How do, you, how do you get out of that trap? 
You let go of the banana and you run away. Repeat that with me. Let go of the banana and run away. It's that simple. Or is it? Now, if, um, if you're not a Christian and you're not quite sure you about this whole Jesus thing, um, you probably can just let that go. Um, like, let the rest of this message go, but just hear this. Identify what it is that's holding you back and let it go. Decide, realize what it is that's costing you financially, that's costing you at home, that's costing you in your relationships. I mean, it's a pretty basic truth. Identify what it is and let it go because the truth is the people in your life probably know what that is. And it's possible that the thing that's hurting you or holding you back is also hurting and holding back the people that you love. You're not just hurting yourself. You're hurting the people in your life around you. And they kind of already know something's up. Maybe they've even tried to talk about it with you, but you became defensive. And so then they just said it's just not worth it to talk about it anymore. But they haven't forgotten. They haven't forgotten that something's going on. But for the sake of the people you love and the for the sake of the people who love you, just let it go. And ultimately, if you don't follow Jesus yet, I would like to encourage you to make that decision and follow Jesus. Because John mentioned this a couple weeks ago, and Pastor Andy Stanley says this. He says, if following Jesus will actually make your life better and make you better at life because Jesus had a lot of really great and wise things to teach us. Now, if you're a Christian or a Jesus follower, there's more. Because those of us who are Christians... And the problem that we come into when we're mastered by something is that we already have a master, right? We already have a master. And we don't like that word master because it brings up images of slavery. But let me just ask you a question. What do you call this if it's not slavery, right? What do you call this if it isn't being enslaved, if you can't let it go or you refuse to let it go or, and it's controlling your behavior and it's controlling your actions and it's controlling your life. You're experiencing um, things that you never intended to experience. And what started off as a pastime has now become a pathway and it's very difficult to just let it go and walk away. If that's not slavery, then what is it? And the interesting thing is, the Apostle Paul writes about this. He was a first century Jewish man who became a Jesus follower. He is a Pharisee, was really bright, really smart, wrote a lot of the New Testament. But he's writing to the Christians in Rome, and we're going to look at Romans 6, 16 today. And he starts out by saying, don't you know? And he starts out with that because he assumed that maybe they did know, but maybe they didn't. So he says, you know, don't don't you know? And then he states something that's so obvious, it doesn't even need to be said, but it sets him up and us up for where he goes in here today. He says, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to something or someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? It's when you stick your hand in there and you get chained to that thing and you refuse to let it go, you are obeying that thing. You are obeying that dynamic, that habit, the pastime, whatever it may be. Whenever you obey it, you make yourself a slave to it. And whatever you say yes to the degree that it's controlling your behavior, that thing or that person has become your master. And if you're thinking, wow, I never thought of it that way, that's why he starts off with, don't you know? Because we don't think 
this way. And Paul's like, you, you need to think this way because in a minute, in a minute, I'm going to challenge you to let go, but I want you to understand what's at stake because the stakes are high. This is a big deal. And then he says, Whatever, whether you are a slave to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience to God, which leads to righteousness. Now, I want to define sin for you today. And sin in the New Testament is really simple to understand. In fact, sin is really simple, period. But we complicate it so much. In fact, it's easier to complicate it, to say we don't understand it. Because sin in the New Testament is anything that hurts you. And anything that hurts the you beside you, and the you behind you, and the yous you live with, and the yous you work with. Sin is anything that even hurts the person you don't know. And here's why. Because it's that verse that many of us were raised on that, for God so loved the yous, for God so loved the world. And when you love someone, and someone hurt someone you love, well, we consider that wrong. God said, I'll just put a big capital S on it. That's sin. God loves you and the use around you. When you hurt you and the use around you, it's sin. And it's simple. And it's really compelling. And it's really demanding. But it is really beautiful. So the Apostle Paul says, whether you're a slave to sin, which leads to death, or obedience to God, which leads to righteousness, he's talking about any behavior that undermines you or any behavior that undermines the yous around you. And here's why, because sin leads to death. Sin kills. Sin kills things. Sin kills relationships. Sin kills careers. Sin kills uh, your confidence, it can kill your health. Sin can actually kill your financial stability, right? You have a bad habit, or you're irresponsible, or you just ignore all of the good advice that you've heard just so you could do whatever it is you wanted to do, right? Sin also kills our peace. It kills our peace with ourselves. It kills our peace with other people. It kills our peace with God because our conscience bothers us kills our relationship with ourselves because we have to look in the mirror and own up. So, of course, God, who's invited you to address him as Abba, as your heavenly father, God who loves you so much, who sent his son into this world to pay for your sins so that you could have this amazing life. Of course, God is against sin, not because God is against you. It's because God is for you, because God loves you. And God loves the yous beside you and behind you and the yous you work for and with and the yous you don't even know. And so sin kills things, but here's the application and the practical part here. Obedience makes things right. Doing what's right, and we've all experienced this enough to know how true it is. Doing what's right even when it's hard. Can you remember the last time you did something right and it was hard, and it cost you something. You know, you did something right. You stood up for someone. You said no to an activity. You passed on something. 
people misunderstood you, maybe you got labeled or you got judged, but you knew it was the right thing. Doing what's right when it's hard is what makes and keeps things right. Right between you and God, between you and people, between you and you. Because there's nothing better in the world than going to the bed at night, to looking up at the ceiling, to closing your eyes and knowing, um, I don't know how this is all going to turn out, but I know I did the right thing. You know, I say that a lot. I don't know, this was hard, and this, was, this was a tough decision, but I know I'm not going to regret doing the right thing. There are a few things that will tear at your soul more than facing yourself in the morning in the mirror and thinking, man, I was a coward, or I was chicken, or I lied, or I, I know I messed up. Then you give yourself 25 reasons or excuses on why you needed to do that, but at the end of the day, that sin, it just takes a, a toll on our soul. And the God, God who loves you, through the words of the Apostle Paul, says, you know, sin kills things, but obedience makes things right. And then it says, but, and there's a contrast here. And he's talking to Christians living in Rome, and he's, and again, he's never met these people. We, we don't even think he's been to Rome that we know of at this point. He says, but thanks be to God that though you used to be a slave to sin, so he's talking to Christians, like, though you used to be a slave to sin, in your past you had your hand in the bucket and you wouldn't let go, he says, you have come uh, not to just believe because believing doesn't make all the difference. You've come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. I love this phrase, this pattern of teaching. You've come to obey a pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance, has claimed your heart. He's introducing this brand new way of thinking about everything a new pattern of living, a way of seeing the world, a way of seeing yourself, a way of seeing other people. It's a new way of seeing God and a way of understanding forgiveness. A new way of viewing your stuff and your money and your time and your future and your career. It's a brand new pattern of thinking, and it centers on a very, very simple idea that we, because what God has done for us, are able to do for others, in essence, what God has done for us. We are to treat others in accordance to the way that God, through Christ, has treated us. He said it's a brand new pattern of living, and if you embrace it, it will become your heartbeat, and it will move from your head to your heart, and it will change everything. To be able to let go of the things that are keeping you back, let go of the things that are weighing you down, because this overarching command is tied to this beautiful gift. And it's that we are to be love because we are loved. We are to be love because we are loved. It's beautiful. And when that becomes like the driving force of our life, anything, anything that I realize that is not good for me, that is not good for you, that is not good for him, that is not good for her, anything that is not good for those people, for the yous in our life, becomes, uh, comes off limits. Obedience sometimes has a negative connotation to it, but obedience frees us. Obedience to God frees you. It doesn't enslave you, right? Obedience to God frees you from the complications of sin and ultimately the consequences of sin. 
Paul then goes on to say and to clarify in 1 Corinthians 6, 19. And he says again, he says, do you not know? And we're here again. He says, do you not know that your bodies, your body, not your belief system, not what's just in your head, but your heart, your bodies, do you not know, do you not know that your bodies are temples? So he said, in other words, they don't, they don't know this yet. And when we see this, we might think one thing. But in the first century, they heard this, and they read it, and they were like, wait a second, my body is not a temple. A temple is a temple, and a body is a body. But they aren't the same thing, because they, a temple was a place that they went to. Um, they were coming out of, if they were coming out of a pagan background, they had been to many temples many times. If they were Jewish, they had taken a long trek and journey to Jerusalem, to the temple. It was holy. It was sacred. For the Jews, it was the most sacred space in the world. For the pagans, they had sacred sites that were also just extraordinarily sacred. So when Paul says, don't you know that your bodies are temples? They're like, this doesn't even make sense. You know, a temple in the first century, a temple is where heaven meets earth. If you want to know where heaven meets earth, heaven meets earth at the temple. And the apostle Paul says, exactly. God has done something radically new. And from now on, because of what God has done, the person next to you is even more sacred than the most sacred, sacred place in the Jewish Jewish people's mind. The person sitting next to you is more brilliant and beautiful and glorious than the biggest, most beautiful pagan temple ever built or created. That suddenly God has done something so radical that people have become more sacred than sacred sites. I mean, do you not know that your bodies are temples? Why? Because they're filled with the Holy Spirit who is in you. And this was breathtaking for them. I mean, this was like those like mind-blown moments. They're, they're either they're hearing it read to them or they're reading it. And, and he's saying, the Holy Spirit is in you. You're the sacred one. And they're like, wait, okay, hold on. But don't you know All of the things I'm carrying around? Do you not know, like, my life, all the stuff I've got? I don't have enough hands and enough items to hold on to to tell you why I'm not a place where heaven meets earth. I'm not worthy of that. And Paul says, oh, wait, you misunderstand me. He's not saying, he's not saying you're sacred because of your behavior. He's saying you're sacred because of you just because of you, because the Holy Spirit has chosen to live and dwell in you, not by what you do, but because of who you are and who God says you are. And he says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he says, oh, and by the way, what's true of temples is also true of you. He says, you are not your own. Because the pagan temples belonged to the gods, and the temple belonged to God. And he says, because you're a temple, you are not your own. And in the first century, they were like, well, hold on a second. You know, this is starting to sound like slavery again. And he's like, yeah, that's where I'm going. He says, you were bought with a price. And this was offensive in the first century, and this is offensive to us as well, this idea of people owning people. We were aware of this, this day, this Sunday, tomorrow we remember the life of Martin Luther King Jr. We are aware of what slavery, of owning other people does. 
how it devalues people. But Paul's not afraid of referring to this here. Because if we had got this right when Paul talked about it, we would have avoided a whole lot of pain and a whole lot of suffering. But he points to the truth here. He says, you were bought with a price. And they knew, I mean, there in the first century, I mean, they would walk past slave markets. The people reading this probably were freed slaves. Some of them had slaves. Some of them were actually themselves slaves. And he says, as offensive as it sounds, you need to understand you don't belong to yourself if you put your faith in Christ. You belong to him, and you've been purchased with a price. Now, maybe it sounds offensive to us because we don't know what our price is or what our value is. Little Economics 101, the perceived value of a thing is what it will bring. It's a weird rhyming thing. The perceived value, not the actual value, because there's no actual value. There's only perceived value, like water will cost way more in certain parts of the world than in our place where we live, the perceived value of water. And that's true of any product. That's how you determine what the price of something is. It's what it will actually bring. Perceived value determines what someone is willing to pay. And so this, this isn't a trick question, but what happens when things don't sell in a store? You know, the price begins to drop. And they keep dropping the price until we get to a price where people perceive that the price and the value line up together. And what is amazing here, what's amazing is that you were purchased. There was a price put on you. And that price determines your value in God's eyes. The price that God paid for you and the price that God paid for me was his son. And for these Romans reading this or hearing this read for the first time, what was at first so horrifying and so demeaning and so undignified, suddenly their ears were open and they're thinking, I never thought of it like that. He sent his son, his only begotten son, to pay for me. He expressed a value on my life, a price that I can't even begin to imagine. You were purchased with the blood of God's son. God gave his son for you. Let me ask you this. What has this ever given for you? What is this thing you're holding on to and dragging around and refusing to let go of? What has it ever offered you? The truth is, it's probably costing you. So why honor it, right? Why empower it? Why bow to it? Why allow it to have control and ownership over your life? Why make something that is actually hurting me and hurting the people that I love, why allow it to be my master? It says, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. And then it says, therefore. And anytime we see the word therefore, we have to ask, what's it there for? And he says, in all your behavior, in all of your relationships, in every decision you make, I want you to honor God with your behavior, with your body. And what does it look like to honor God with our body? It means we honor God by honoring those that God honors. 
And when you're hanging on to something or clinging to something or someone that demeans you or that creates a lack of dignity in you or expresses a lack of dignity or worth in other people, you have to let it go because it's not honoring to you and it is not honoring to God with your body. And it's overlooking and missing this incredible price that God gave and paid for you so that we could have a relationship with him. Anything that gets in the way, anything that gets in the way of my love for you needs to be moved out of the way. Anything that gets in the way of my love for God needs to be moved out of the way. So back to our original question. What, is, what are you holding on to that is holding you back? From having a clear conscience with your Father in heaven, from having the relationship you've always dreamed of with your kids or your spouse or your family, what are you holding on to? Is it your anger? You know, well, my dad was angry or my mom was angry and his dad was angry, and so I'm just angry. I'm just from a whole bloodline of angry people. So that's just who I am, you know? Well, how long are you going to drag that anger around? Because the people you love the most and the people who are trying to get close to you, they are ready for you to let it go. Is it a habit? You know? You know habits start, maybe. They don't start as habits. They start as like, oh, this could be fun. This, I, could, I could like this. I could enjoy this. Everyone else is doing it, and what starts out as a pastime becomes a pathway, and then you realize you're a slave to the thing. And you don't want to spend another year being a slave to the thing that's been holding you back. Is it a person? And sometimes this is a really hard question. Is it a person or maybe even a group of friends that, you know, the people in your life have sat you down, your grandma or your parents or your other friends have said, hey, listen, this person's no good for you. And you, you think they're being really judgmental when, in fact, they're just, just using good judgment. And truth is, probably if your people are commenting about your group of friends, your group of friends have people who are commenting about you <laughs> and sitting down and saying, hey, this person's no good. You're just not good for each other. Is there someone or someone's? that you need to let go of. Maybe it's a form of entertainment or gaming or maybe it's alcohol or maybe you've been ignoring your health or maybe you've been paying too much attention to your health and your family feels like they're competing with something that you do or a hobby. I mean, maybe it's something that for just this season in life you need to let go of. Maybe it's not a bad thing, but it's something that is maybe just not a right now activity. But we need to recognize and understand that we have been bought with a price, that God loves you and is inviting you into a way of life where you can set everything down, everything that entangles, and run, run this race you've been designed and created for. And if you really want to get serious this year, if you really, really want this year to be better than the last, ask someone. Ask someone, am I holding on to something that's holding me back? Because the people closest to you, people that love you, they know the answer to that question. And if you're married or you're engaged or with someone, you're hoping it's moving in that direction, ask them, am I holding on to something that's holding us back? 
And if so, let it go. Don't be mastered by anything or anyone. You already have a master. And you don't have any business being mastered by anything or anyone. If you're a Christian, you have a master, a master who, who demonstrated his love. He didn't just talk about it. He didn't just believe it. He demonstrated that while you were still a sinner, while you were still holding on, while you were still entangled and weighed down and trapped, while you were still in that habit, Christ still loves you and still died for you. What has that thing ever done for you? If you're not a Jesus follower, if you haven't fully bought into this thing, consider it. Take a baby step. Come, come back to worship with us. Have a conversation. We have classes starting up um, on the second, the Jesus questions. You can come sit with us Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock and learn more about what this Jesus had to say about life. In fact, I would say anyone who wants to just kind of take it another step further to learn more, what did Jesus have to say? Jesus questions, that's, that's coming in a couple weeks. If you haven't been following Jesus, what would it look like for you to start now? And if you have been following Jesus and you've just been stuck, I highly, highly encourage you. I, I pray with you. I implore you. Seek the face of God. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Say, give me the strength and the power to let it go and run. Take hold of the one who brought you back, who bought you back, and who will lead you back to life through Jesus. Paul would later write on that that is what the true life is all about. Life to the fullest, abundant life. But for now, for today, for this year moving forward, that's the question to ponder. What are you holding on to that is holding you back? Let us pray. Oh, Abba, Father, thank you for loving us so deeply. Thank you for seeing inside of us, for seeing the good, for seeing us as valuable and lovely and worthy. Lord, we sit this morning in this space each of us carrying our own burdens, each holding on to things in our lives that are dragging us down and holding us back from a life-giving relationship with you. And Lord, as we sit here today, we ask that you bring to mind what it is that we need to let go of and run to you. Lord, it isn't easy to admit it, and it's hard and painful but God, I pray that you give us the courage, surround us with people who will lift us up and walk with us on this journey, who will help us in our obedience to you and our allegiance to you. Lord, give us the strength to consistently do the things, to create patterns of behavior that ultimately are for our good. And as we look to throw off the things that entangle us and keep us from you, God. I just pray that you make a way where it doesn't seem like there might be a way. 
And God, in this room today, we know that there are people who are struggling with the question of like, are you real? Is this thing, can this thing be trusted? Can you be counted on? And God, I just pray that today, for those in this room, that they maybe just take that bold step and trust. And if you are here today in this room and you haven't quite had this conversation yet with God, you can do that now. You can say, Lord Jesus, my heart is yours. My life is yours. I don't know what that means. I, don't, I know there are no promises with it, but God, I give you my heart. I give you my life. Walk with me. Take the things that are weighing me down. Lord, we give this moment to you. We give this day to you as an act of worship, and we pray.